Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. the southernmost point of Dorne, to the lands of always winter, to what is west of west, and the shadows in the east. This is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Knapsack for episode 42 of Casterly Talk. It's an important number to me, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. I am not feeling well. You might be able to hear a little bit of it in my voice. A, little, a slight case of bronchitis set in after I... I got back from my 25th high school reunion last weekend and was ready to hit the hit the floor run and record some casually talk because it was a big weekend to miss doing a show. I was like, ah, not, I'm going to do it Monday. I got, I, I got sick. I got sick. I've been in and out of bed all week as I try to work through it because that's a freelance life. And then that, that, that simple cold seemed to settle in my chest. And here we are. But you don't need to hear about that. We need to hear about Game of Thrones. I was hot last week, though. I, I was hot with all the news and, and, and the stuff coming out about Benioff and Weiss and the panel a couple weekends ago that was live-tweeted. Everyone, uh, a new round of fervor and fire over Dave and and, and, um, and uh, David and Dan's uh, words. We're going to talk about that. I, and the cancellation of, we'll just we'll just call for, for sake of clarity, Blood Moon, the Age of Heroes prequel pilot with Naomi Watts in the lead, Jane Goldman. Behind it with George R. R. Martin, and then the announcement that well, we are definitely getting House of the Dragon for HBO Max. Um, all of six, a lot of thoughts on it. And I was hot, hot, hot. I was angry a little bit, so I'm glad I got to actually take a little bit of a break, forced break, to gather my thoughts. I was really, really hoping to have Rachel uh, Cushing on the show today. Ace and Lawn as well, but uh, Rachel, I really want to get her thoughts on the canceled prequel pilot. She's really, really excited for that. And she was really, really excited uh, for Fire and Blood, which we now know as uh, House of the Dragon. And she still is. But uh, her insight on those two properties was valuable. And I really wanted everyone. Uh, we were trying to do a phone call. She's out of town, out of state, actually. And I am sick. Uh, it just didn't work out. So I want to acknowledge that, that I, I really, really am looking forward to talking with her, her about it, as well as Andres Cabrera and Lon Harris as, as soon as possible. We'll get the band all back together very soon. But uh, let's start with uh, David and Dan. Let's start with that. Put put your feelings of episode eight, if, if they're overwhelmingly negative or down the middle, or like me, uh, one of your favorite seasons, put it, put it on the shelf. Uh, put your feelings on season seven and six, any things you didn't like in those seasons. Five and four. Uh, one, two, and three seem to be pretty safe in terms of seasons, right? Everyone kind of unilaterally, uh, unilaterally loves them. Um, but uh, even though season three, actually, uh, not one of my favorites outside of some of the bigger things. Um, put those all on the shelf. Even my excitement for these seasons uh, all the way through, your uh, decreasing love of the show. All the way through, right, whatever state you're in listening, let's just put it on the shelf. Let's talk about David Benioff, D.B. Weiss what they did, what they accomplished, their mistakes, and their words that always uh, seem to be in the spotlight nowadays. And a lot of this is tied into Star Wars. And here's the thing. I, I do have, because of uh, my work in the Star Wars discussion media world, I do have, a, I do have some insight uh, via friends who work in the business, friends uh, and acquaintances uh, up at Lucasfilm or former, former Lucasfilm employees. I, I get a little more insight into that world than I do Game of Thrones. Really... Really just am a, am a professional appreciator. A fan of note, as I was once described about Star Wars. All right. I just do a lot of shows. I'm known for it because a lot of people have watched some of those shows. It doesn't make me an expert in the business of Game of Thrones. I want that to be clear. I would love to go uh, have, uh, you know, food with uh, George R. R. Martin, New Mexico have a dinner, watch some football, talk business. It's not going to happen. 
Not going to happen. Whereas I have talked business with some people in Star Wars. So uh, here's what I'll say, man. I, this, is, uh, this is where I'm at. I, I, I find myself appalled at some of the revisionist history that seems to be going on with David and Dan, particularly a couple weekends ago based on those comments. And if you haven't found the thread and you're unfamiliar with it, they were at, a, at Austin in uh, Austin, Texas at a, at a like film festival convention type thing on a panel just talking about the experiences. And a lot of things, if you are a, a longtime fan of Game of Thrones and you've watched all the behind the scenes material and the little making of featurettes and read interviews, I got to tell you, I was I was watching it unfold. Someone had clued, in, clued me into it right as it was happening. I was watching this uh, one user t- tweet it out. No, no problem there. Just tweet it on out. Uh, and I- I'm just thinking, this is good. This is going to be bad. I know what's going to happen. It was kind of like watching season eight of Game of Thrones going, oh, I love that moment. Oh, but I bet when I get online, that's going to cause some problems. Understandable in some cases, not in some cases, whatever. I, I-, I was watching this happen. Benny Weiss's words are under a microscope now. The show is under a microscope, and everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got an opinion. A lot of what they said, I'm telling you. If, like I said, if you're a if you are a fan, you've heard them say, you've heard them, I've heard the lines. We just we made a lot of mistakes. Every mistake you could think of, we made on that pilot. We learned from it, and we got a chance to do it again, and we did it, and we did it uh, well, and the show grew from there. We, we made mistakes along the way, and we learned. You have heard a lot, a lot been made of uh, their resumes, what they have done and what they haven't done, and all those kind of things. There is no doubt they got a chance of a lifetime, a chance of a lifetime indeed, Writers, producer, director types, yes, but showrunners for a big network with a big budget and a big property, yeah, they've done some big property stuff before, and then some people will point out that some of their involvement in some of those properties, eh, you know, people don't like what they did. All right, fair enough. Um, but they got the opportunity, and other people don't get opportunities, and that's part of what's the, the fervor right now. But they got it, and they made Quite frankly, the best of that opportunity. I, I, yeah, to hold that against them, I don't know. To suddenly make them the poster children for uh, bigger problems in the industry, uh, not fair to them any more than it was to Colin Trevorrow, who probably got jumped up a little too fast and ran into some problems because of it. Bigger conversations, but there was this revisionist history going on with their words, with people I know, people I know, and I can call them out, Facebook friends, uh, saying, ah, see, this makes all the more sense. They never knew what they were doing. They're idiots. They're dumb guys. They just wanted to write a boob and dragon show. And even then, they didn't want to go into high fantasy. How dumb. It's amazing the show even succeeded as best as it did. And then they started citing things from not just season eight. I can see if, I don't agree with it, but I can see if you're looking at season eight going, oh, well, yeah, there's some things I didn't like about the how they put that together. Oh, they're on this panel. They say they they they, they didn't know what they were doing. Okay, makes sense. It tracks. Yeah, it doesn't really. Because, again, this is stuff they've said. It was a different time in the business in 2011 and 10 and 9 and so on when they were developing the show. I also have uh, uh, an older interview with George R. R. Martin, by the way, from that era, saying, oh, these guys these guys came in and pitched the show, and they understand the books like no one else, and oh, my God, it's going to be great. So anything he says against them now, take with a grain of salt. Specifically in terms of if, 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 if there's any kind of like George saying, I don't know why they picked them. I have an interview in my records. Um... But we're not going that route. Um, I just, this is what we've been talking about lately here on Casterly Talk. These headlines. Look beyond the headlines. I was talking with Lon Harris. I don't want to speak for Lon Harris, but I was doing some work over at Screen Junkies, and we were talking about it the week of, before I'd left for my 25th reunion, and, and I you know, wanted to get him on the show to, to talk about it. But um, 
you know, he and I are both on the side. We're we're both still pretty positive about season eight, even if we do agree there's some things that you can question. But we both don't like this now going back. And this is what I've said. I saw some friends on Facebook specifically cite stuff early on in the show. And then cite in these comments, and I'm not going to go through every little comment from this film festival. A lot of you listening are probably familiar with it. But there was this one thing that said, uh, well, we wrote the first season. We didn't know better. We didn't hire. We wrote it all. And HBO said, uh, you're about 100 minutes short. 100 minutes is a lot of time, by the way, as as you can imagine. So we went back and we added scenes. And they talked specifically about, oh, we, we added a scene with Robert Baratheon and Cersei Lannister. We realized we didn't have them alone together during the first season. And Lon and I were specifically talking about that scene off air that people were citing, wow. These idiots didn't even think to put Robert and Cersei in a scene together. They don't know what they're talking about. First of all, that means you're ignorant of the process of writing and creating and producing things. The amount of things that are added in later, the added things that are reshoots. I was just listening to the Attack of the Clones commentary, which I'd never really listened to. Uh, finally got a hold of those uh, Blu-rays uh, years later. Um, so I sat and George Lucas is talking about uh, this, this is a scene we realized uh, I didn't have Obi-Wan and Anakin together uh, in a positive way. So I added this elevator scene as a, a reshoot. You always see the term reshoots. Everyone hears reshoots outside of the business and, and not everyone. That's not fair, Ken. Uh, the headlines, the clickbaiters. Reshoots. It's This is what happens. A, f- a film or a TV show is made three times in the writing, the shooting, and the editing. And in the editing, you often find, oh, Let's go back and add this on set. I heard that, that, remember that story a couple years ago now, year and a half. Ryan Johnson did not script an interaction between Ryan, uh, Luke Skywalker and C-3PO and Crate. Mark Hamill said, wait, what if I do this? Wink at him. Ryan said, that's great. And then it came out, see, Ryan didn't know these characters. No, that's not proof of that. That's just how films are made. I just shot something myself the other day uh, with uh, Robert Butler III and Kate Husby, two great young directors coming out of USC. I was on set. I added some stuff. And they went, oh, that's great. We didn't think about that. That's the creative process. And that's the writing process. And if HBO comes to you and says, all right, you're short. That's the note phase. It's not like they were on set. HBO, a little guy with a clipboard comes up. Hi, I'm Mr. HBO representative. Uh, You guys realize you're 100 minutes short of the show? No. And then what they do is they add in this scene. A lot of scenes, 100 minutes is a lot of time. They go back and this specific scene is what Lon and I were talking about. Again, I'm trying not to speak for Lon. He's not here right now. But Robert Baratheon, Cersei Lannister talking about their marriage. Cersei asking if, if, if there ever was really a chance Robert had to say no, and how does that make you feel? It makes me feel nothing. That, without a doubt, you've heard me talk about that scene. You've heard others on this feed talk about that scene because it's one of the best, and it still stands up as one of the best, one of the best written, one of the best shot for two people sitting at a table drinking wine and talking, and absolutely one of the best acted scenes. Lena Headey, boom, she's one of the best. Mark Addy, we forget what Mark Addy does and what he brought. To Robert Baratheon. The fact that they added that scene in a little bit later after early development process does not mean that David Dead and David and Dead did not know what they were doing. It's just the process. And also they were admitting to, hey, we had the chance to learn and we took it. And if they truly didn't know anything, zero, nada, well, I think they learned. They also learned how to rely on other people. And if you listen to interviews with Miguel Sapochnik, who thankfully involved with House of the Dragon, by the way, if you listen to the interviews, there's some fascinating long-form interviews out there about his stuff on season five. Uh, six, seven. Uh, well, he took, what, what season did he take off? Six or seven? I can't remember. And definitely eight. And he talks about it. Sapochnik talks about it. There's some tension there. But by the time he came on board in season five, Benioff and Weiss knew what they were doing. It was their ship. And he learned real fast. It was their ship. And he learned to work with them in that system. And he learned to work really well in that system. So everything they were saying 
and that panel, everything about how they were learning. It's not evidence for anything. Does that mean they're free of any slings of arrows, uh, slings and arrows from some of the later seasons for some of the decisions? No. And then the decision to come in with a low fantasy pitch as opposed to high fantasy, which forces them to take out a lot of things from the show, uh, from the books, I should say, including uh, probably most notably Lady Stoneheart. Something that I do wish was in the show. I wish it was in the show, that whole sequence. But the idea that they went to them with a, a low fantasy pitch was the right thing to do. The reason it was the right thing to do is I cannot tell you how many people I know in my world on and off air personalities, regular folk and YouTube folk who love Game of Thrones, have hats, T-shirts, figures, all those things, books. They haven't read the books necessarily, but they got books about Game of Thrones. And they watch it once or twice. These aren't just the casual people that sweep on through. Some of them have been on after shows with me. And they will say, some on air. They've said off air. I love Game of Thrones. Don't like the magic. Kind of tune out with some of the magic. Or they grow with the magic. Uh, which is... Uh, I think how the story is designed, even the book story, right? Magic returns to the land. Even the characters are like, well, we're not down with the magic. Magic's from the old. Oh, magic is happening. I think to pitch that to HBO and say it's important for us to take this wild dragons and uh, wizards type of show that has a smaller niche very appreciative, but smaller niche audience here in the States specifically um, and present it a little bit more about the politics and the characters and the lessons and the themes. That's absolutely smart. Then the show does get into it. It does grow into the magic. And I remember, I specifically remember, what is it? Season four is when we first see the children of the force, right? I was really excited. And a lot of us were really excited. It was this idea of, we're finally seeing the children of the forest. Yay. I had friends text me. What the hell is this? I got a magic elf throwing magic grenades? And one friend said, I, I don't know if I can keep watching this show. I just don't know. I love it. I wish it was just about the politics and the fighting, the actual fighting, not little magic elves throwing magic balls. And I was like, I just give it a second. It gets, you know, don't worry. You know, it's good. It's good. It's good. You got to stick with it. And they did. And they come to terms with it. But it gets a little weird. You forget. You forget season one. Starts with some kind of weird haunting stuff, right? You got some white walkers and then it grows. And then that's the point. Dragons come back. Bend the knee. Danny's got dragons crawling around or something else is going on. And by season two, Piat Pri, uh, their powers are returning because the dragons are returning. Magic is returning to the land. We know that. We appreciate that. So to, 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 to throw rocks at this idea or magic grenades at this idea that uh, uh, David and Dan are uh, dumb because they didn't go with high fantasy. Just you might not then understand broadcasting to a wide audience. Uh, but I don't want to go down point for point. And I don't want to defend them 100%. Here's the one thing I will say, not the one thing, but one of the most noticeable things about Benioff and Weiss. They at times come across, maybe more Benioff, uh, they come across a little bit as tone deaf on the show, especially later years, some of their decisions, which I felt were made for the greater good of the story, or, or at least the, the, the purpose of those moments in the seasons. But without a doubt, have uh, reek a little bit of that tone deaf thing. Saying someone is tone deaf is is very specific, and it's it's different than some of the other labels that will be thrown against them and people like this. I work and have worked with some people, some people that you know on air with shows that I would consider tone deaf. It doesn't mean the things they're saying are one bad or two not not, you know, untrue from certain points of view or certain perspectives or anything, or, you know, again, malicious in any sense of the word. It just means that, well, with things going on, 
maybe what you said didn't account for other people's experiences and perspectives and maybe it didn't count for how it would be taken. In this era where we definitely want to make sure people of all uh, uh, races, creeds, genders, uh, what what have you, get opportunities to create or jobs out in the real world. Hollywood is a real world too, though. Um, to have Benioff and Weiss kind of go up and say, hey, we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, one of us, uh, my father is actually, uh, you know, he's part of, he, he one of the big head, head, head hunters at Goldman Sachs. We got some money. I'm, uh, you know, I'm married to Amanda Pete. I got a good life. And we completely failed, but we didn't get fired. We kept going. Again, it was different in, in 2011, 2010, and when they were making the pilot. Different business. I'm not talking about the diversity issue or anything. I'm talking about just different business. HBO had the time back then to go, ah, that didn't work, but we think we have something, and we're too far down this path. Let's give it another go. Very rare even for then, rarer now, but that's a different time. But Benny Applewise often seemed to be... Um, and they don't speak a lot publicly, by the way, but they often seem to be somewhat tone deaf to the bigger conversations. And that's, I think, I think you guys understand that. I think you know what I mean with that. Again, I've worked with people. I've been on shows where they've said something and you're like, well, mm, yep, that's going to get some heat. Uh, the intent and, 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 and what, why, why I use tone deaf? Why it's an important word to use and understand when describing some of these, these uh, situations and, and, and people is again, that does not come from a malicious point of view, does not come from a, a bad place. It just ends up in one or it ends up in a complicated place and a place maybe we don't need to go. Benny and Weiss, of course, trying to get that show Confederate off the ground was where the the heat really started to come down on them. That was the moment. It wasn't so much Game of Thrones. There were things in Game of Thrones that if you didn't like uh, some of their choices or casting choices, everything you could point to. But it was like, yes, but we love the show. Then it was like, oh, they're doing what? And Benny Alfonso tries. Well, one of the co-creators is is, uh, is a black man. Don't worry. It's you know, it's the I have a black friend. Excuse is how it came across. All the stuff that was the time, and it wasn't that the show itself would have been bad, or we didn't know the purpose. Or, you know, we didn't see it. We didn't read the script, so we don't know what it was saying. But it was one of those things of uh, this is a tone deaf kind of project for what's going on in the world right now, and I think that is still evident uh, today with what they were saying about that stuff, about their um, chances to just, in other people's eyes, fail on up. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's what they meant. I think they would be very understanding of of uh, people's opinions of, the, of that situation. But again, they just were being honest. Oh, wow, yeah, we are on this pilot. We messed up. We got to do it again. And we learned a lot. And other people are like, wow, I haven't even got that chance. Now, I would argue some of uh, those people saying I haven't even got that chance. We're never going to get the chance to produce Game of Thrones. Uh, but that's a different conversation. But in their own lives, their own careers, they want to make sure they're having those chances. And to hear someone's just bungling in their opinion, in their opinion, bungling their big giant chance, and then they get to bungle again until they get it right. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't seem fair. And I think it's important to acknowledge that I Try not to be tone deaf. I've always had a little bit of tone deaf moments in my uh, mind. I think maybe we all all have. But especially when it comes to talking Star Wars. Case in point, a lot of you don't know, I don't like Star Wars Legends stuff too much. There's some things in it that I'm okay with. Some things I used to like back then that I don't like now. And one of those is the character of Mara Jade. I don't like Mara Jade. I don't think she's a great character. Uh, Very interesting. One-dimensional. Um... I remember reading Air of the Empire and liking the idea of this character, but as I got older, it just didn't kept didn't keep my interest. Uh, the whole Mary and Luke, the, I just eh, even George Lucas, I said, eh, George, uh, George would say, yeah, yeah, Luke Skywalker, trust me in my story, he never gets married. There's no Mara Jade. So it's sometimes something. Sometimes that would come up on shows like Jedi Alliance or Jedi Council or Force Center. And I'll still say, I'll still say if pressed, not a huge Mara Jade fan. 
But for me to pound my fist on a desk and scream into a microphone and say, um, Mar Jade's a bad character, hope she never becomes canon, get her out of here, one-dimensional, thumbs down. That would be tone deaf. Because one of the things Mara J did, other than being, by the way, a tremendously popular character in Legends for a long time, Mara Jade was a very important character to specifically female Star Wars fans who didn't have a lot to choose from when it came to characters, even after the prequel era. Um, Mara Jade represented something important, something different. So for me to sit there and say, <laughs> Mara Jade, bad character, which is something I believe, to just say that without acknowledging or not understanding that the character of Mara Jade represents a lot to a lot of people who might themselves be like, yeah, you know what? Mara wasn't the greatest character. Mara was one-dimensional and kind of silly and part of uh, unofficial Star Wars stuff that even George hated, but it was all I had. That's got to be part of the conversation, got to be part of the understanding. There are a lot of times when Benioff and Weiss seem to, in interviews, or the way they handle some things, or some of the choices they make, even though I, you know, all this, the Missandei uh, death, I think that served a purpose. I think it was a important moment in the breaking of Danny. And I understand that came at the expense of Missandei. And she's one of the only uh, people of color on the cast I understand all of the problematic angles to that conversation. I just, in that moment, for what it meant for Cersei, for what it meant for the story, I'm like, I I, I, pro- I might have made that same decision too. I just want to try to be aware of it. And not that Benioff and Weiss weren't aware of it or didn't understand some of the complaints after. I haven't heard a lot of this, their statements on it. I'm just saying that goes into this big bucket of conversation around them. Um. So that, I want to be honest about that. I think there's some things about the panel in Austin that, that definitely comes across as toned up. It could have been phrased a different way. Even if it's just like, we messed up the opportunity with the pilot, and we know most people don't get this opportunity. And we were very lucky and fortunate, and we got it again. We don't know how or why, and we tried to make the most of it. Even if they had phrased it something like that, and again, who knows, maybe there was some of that, because... Quotes get taken out of context real fast on Twitter, don't they now? So, or just online in general. But I that was roaming in my head too. And that is why also I'm glad I got sick and didn't immediately jump on a microphone to talk about it because I think I might have done some fist pounding on a desk and said, ah, ah, that's not a problem. Don't worry about it. It is a different time. Um, I keep saying that because that leads into what we're talking about here next. I want to do tra- I want to transition into this cancellation of the pilot because the next day, and it's not Benny Alvin Weiss's fault, but they had nothing to do with these prequel pilots, as they've said several times. No one at HBO called them up and said, eh, what do you think about this? All right. They're busy working with Netflix and they're busy not working with Lucasfilm anymore. But when the next day, the again, we'll call it the Blood Moon pilot, led by Naomi Watts, led by Jane Goldman, and uh, predominantly, um, I, I will say female-led, uh, a lot of the characters, uh, behind-the-scenes people, everything, um, and I, I don't think it was exclusively that, and, and wasn't being billed by that by HBO, but it was that to a lot of people. Again, you have to be understanding of that. That gets cut the next day because of a, a bad pilot. How does that look and compare uh, and compared to uh, Benny F. Weiss. Not good. Not good. Not their fault, though. Not their fault. Um, but it, get lumped, it got lumped on him. I saw some people tweeting out in anger. Oh, Benny F. Weiss ruined it for us again. They decided to... Uh, they got in HBO's head about not doing high fantasy, and this this Age of Heroes show was going to be a little more high fantasy, uh, female-led, and HBO said, no, get it out of here. Uh, again, Benny Alfoy said nothing to do with that. And maybe there's some some executives at HBO were like, we uh, we can't sell a Naomi Watts-led Game of Thrones show. I don't think anyone said that. But again, it, it does not add up into the favor of Benny Alfoy. But let's fully pivot now to that conversation. Again, this is what I got to say. I don't know. I don't know a lot of the business things. And we got a couple of your calls here. We got some great calls. We got a backlog of calls, actually. Um, but I wanted to go into some of your thoughts on them. Um, 
on on this cancellation. I'll, I'll just say this: number one, I am really disappointed. I'm really kind of sad. Um, I'm tremendously excited for House of the Dragon, and Rachel and I were sh- very much sharing that excitement. That's why she, her and I've been talking on some recent episodes and going in a little more depth about Fire and Blood. I am just this is a series I want to see, and it kind of eclipsed my joy for. Uh, the Age of Heroes prequel for Blood Moon. But I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed because, again, George R. Martin is very much involved in these. The number one reason I'm disappointed, well, I'll say the number one reason, I just, more content. More content to talk about here on this show, not going to lie. That's, oh, man, there's one less thing we could talk about on this Game of Thrones show that's still going long after Game of Thrones show ended, right? Uh. But I'm also disappointed as a fan because I was really excited about getting some answers about the Age of Heroes and those stories and those legends I really wanted to see what they, you know, what they really are. So that's, that's my number one disappointment right now. As far as why, uh, let's go into it. But first, I do want to hear from some of our faithful out there. And we're going to start with, um, we got two back-to-back calls from uh, our friend Billy. And I love this because Billy, he says, he's like, I've, whew, you're hearing his first call. I might have a couple calls to say about this. So let's start with Billy right now. Hey, Ken, it's Billy. So my head is racing with all this HBO Max, a Fire and Blood, House of the Dragon, Cancel Blood Moon news. My mind is literally scattered right now. So I'm just probably going to be sending you a lot of messages. But this one, I just want to get my quick thoughts out about why I think Blood Moon was canceled or not picked up by HBO and House of the Dragon was. I think HBO really wants to rely on George R. R. Martin's source material and since they don't have any concrete source material per se for the Blood Moon Age of Heroes, nothing as concrete as Fire and Blood, I think they'd pass on that for the quote-unquote safer option of Targaryens, Dragons, and George R. R. Martin's literature. So I just want to get your thoughts on why you think Blood Moon was not picked up, but House with the Dragon was. Hey, Ken, it's Billy again. I'm really disappointed that Blood Moon was not picked up by HBO because I was really looking forward to seeing like the early days of the Stark House and how how different they were from the time we knew them in, in A Game of Thrones. And I was really intrigued by the quote by George R. R. Martin when he was talking about how there were a hundred different petty kingdoms. There weren't any knights. There weren't any big castles. I was really getting sort of a Viking Vikings vibe in my mind. I know you're not a big fan of that show because it is not like Game of Thrones as some people like to say it is. But I, I really liked that show and I like that sort of time period where things aren't as advanced as we know them to be in the in the main series. So I was really looking forward to seeing that. So I have to admit, I'm very disappointed by the cancel by HBO not picking up Blood Moon. So I just want to get your thoughts on that. All right, Billy, with back to back calls, uh, with great stuff there. You could feel you could feel the disappointment in his voice there, and, and again, it's in mine too. I, I I just wanted to find out. You guys know, you all know that when I when I take in the these the shows. Um, Star Wars included, and and even you know Lord of the Rings, the movies, or something like the Hobbit trilogy. I, I, when I take them in, I, I, I was a little disappointed in the Hobbit trilogy, but I still look at it as the story, and I still love watching the story unfold in front of me, or sometimes with prequels behind me. And even though there might be some things I don't like, it's like to me that's like, oh, this is a living document. This is real history, and I'm learning. I'm filling in the blanks, and I'm learning like, oh, this happened. Now I don't. I might not like the acting in the scene. There might be something another way it was shot. And we can talk about that. But I'm not a. I'm not a film critic. I think that gets confused, especially because I do some work for Collider, and people view that as like a film news site, a movie news site. As uh, I'm not a critic. Again, I'm. I'm a host. I'm a comic. I'm a writer. I'm a fan. And I sit down and talk about these shows. So. Yeah, I share that with you, Billy. I share that. Just wanted to see the the uh, you know hundred petty houses and all those kind of things and a land without uh, tech, without the not that there was a ton of tech run around um, Westeros uh, during the Game of Thrones show, but you know what I mean. Just castleless lands or castles being built, the wall being put up, um, the magic behind that, and and some of those answers. I was really excited. Because George R. R. Martin had a lot of involvement, allegedly, in the series, that he could answer his own questions 
about Age of Heroes. As he said, this is going to be a different time. Uh, a lot of everything, not everything you've heard from the Maesters is 100% true, and not of all of it's a lie, and and I really wanted those answers. Um, as to Billy's other point about source material, yeah, it's just, that's just open business speculation. I could see that. I could see that Game of Thrones, if you're an executive, you're looking at awards, you're looking at ratings and numbers, you're looking at a lot of things that indicate that Game of Thrones as a whole was tremendous success as a show, and that season eight and season seven were also successful. The anticipation level of fans, the chatter, again, the awards, and the money made, and the ratings. If you're an HBO executive, you're sitting around going, oh, we did all right. But if you're doing your due diligence, and you've got research, and you've got a lot of things, uh, if go, a, lot, a lot of information flowing into your mind to make decisions, you might be looking like, well, you know, definitely seems people didn't like that Benny and Weiss had to go on without George. We have George here. We should trust George. But we had George then. Is he going to do the same thing again? Is he going to get upset at something Jane Goldman and her team do and kind of distance himself? And again, that I, I want to point out, that is that is giant speculation on a lot of, a lot of people's faults. You can really look into George's words and in interviews and get a feeling that at some point he may be pulled off his interest in, in uh, HBO's Game of Thrones. But there's never been an exact smoking gun of a bit of evidence. Uh, you know, uh, again, a lot of interviews. You could put it all together. But I think you know what I mean. Um, but HBO's got to wonder that. And maybe they do have that evidence. Maybe they're do sitting around. Well, George got upset last time. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe we should go with something that has the complete map. Even though the second Fire and Blood book has not come out yet, we know where it ends up. We have a better idea even more so than Benioff and Weiss did. It wouldn't just be a cheat sheet. You'd kind of know where you need to go a little bit more. But also, you have so much material in the first Fire and Blood book that you might not need to worry about that. And George could crank the other one out. Never, though, trust George to just crank books out. I, I think it makes some sense. I think it makes some sense. I don't think it's as simple as that, Billy, but I think I could see an executive doing that. But I think there's something more beyond uh, that, beyond just, you know, beyond just not having a roadmap. Um, but let's see. Uh, Eric, Eric Monroe, he's got um, a call about this as well. Hey, Ken and Cashley Talk. So this horrible year for me has just continued. My dad, unfortunately, last week had a heart attack and he's triple bypass surgery. So where I'm going with this, though, Game of Thrones wise, I was in the cafeteria, had a Game of Thrones shirt on. And, you know, I started talking to this guy who was also into Game of Thrones. And we started talking and he brought up something that kind of made me go, hmm. And I'm curious what you think. So we were talking about the prequels and, and, and all that. And he mentioned how... You know, is maybe it's possible that Fire and Blood was commissioned because maybe somebody saw Blood Moon, the pilot of Blood Moon, and said, hmm, this might not exactly work. Maybe we need dragons and Targaryens. And, it may, you know, it makes me wonder, could that actually be true? Because, you know, we, of course, know the original Game of Thrones pilot wasn't any good and they reshot most of it. So what do you think? Do you think Fire and Blood could have been spawned from a failed Blood Moon pilot? Yes, Eric. Yes. And and I think, Eric, this is what Eric is talking about here. Correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. And first of all, actually, let's stop. Let's acknowledge our good friend Eric. Send uh, Eric a good well-wish tweet. Um, It's been a very tough year for him. I do believe his father's uh, doing okay now uh, from last couple tweets I saw. Occasionally, I'll uh, send uh, Eric a DM to check in on him. Uh, Lost his mother last year. Eric's one of our Great fans and friends and contributors here uh, via his phone calls. So send him some love, Eric. We love that you can come and escape with us here in Casterly Talk land. Um, and you made a great point. And your friend here, this this friend you made over a Game of Thrones t-shirt, uh, made a great point as well. Yeah, this is even more likely than anything else. Not to discount Billy's theory. I think he's on to something with the material. Uh, but a lot of things going around. Again, as I said up top, it was a caveat. I do not know the inside dealings of Game of Thrones and HBO at all. Um, I have seen something going around online. Do I believe it? Not necessarily. But that the pilot and the story that was being set um, set out to be told 
might have been somewhat problematic again. They, I, I don't want this to turn any near uh, close to, to fact. This is just a somewhat I saw a thread of uh, someone had saw it and the way um, the children of the forest were mostly, uh, you know, depicted as uh, the, the people of color performers and actors. Um, and then it was became this weird uh they were maybe trying to tell a story, which is maybe a valuable story to tell of of the the um, Andals and the conquerors and the old uh, the old gods and the new coming on over and maybe taking over this land from the people that were already here. Again, that's not that uh, that's a story that has some value to it, but that it might have not been handled in the right way or it didn't it didn't look well, uh, didn't look right. Again, maybe tone deaf. I don't know. None of this is fact. I'm going to say that again. None of that is fact. But that's some things that have started to emerge. I'd love to have a little bit more detail on that. But that got me thinking. All right, something wasn't working in this pilot. We knew, what, three, four other shows had been pitched or worked on. Brian Cogman was involved in one. In fact, Brian Cogman was involved with one that now is known as House of the Dragon. Cogman was great on Game of Thrones. He was their kind of book guy. Um, not a lot of knowledge of George's work. That one didn't work. So they reworked one completely. Completely. George is still involved, as we know. Sapochnik involved. Uh, reworked it completely. <clears throat> and that didn't happen overnight. Just like Benioff and Weiss didn't wake up one Monday morning and say, let's walk away from Star Wars. That decision, I guarantee you, I'm telling you, happened a long time Prior to that, uh, and suddenly, hey, Kevin Feige's brought on board. Are you going to produce a Star Wars movie? That seems weird. Yeah, it does seem weird now, huh? Nah, or maybe it doesn't because everyone, again, knew what was going to happen or knew what was going to be announced because it already had taken place. When suddenly out of nowhere, we got information, hey, they're going forward on another Game of Thrones pilot. We're going to have two shows in development. And people like me, I'm pointing to myself here, you can't see, got super excited Yippee skippy, we got two shows, and the theory of one's on HBO Max, one on HBO proper, all that tracked, all that tracked, but we all should have slowed down our excitement, and look, we said a couple times here on this show, hey, who knows, maybe the blood moon doesn't even go, it is still in pilot uh, form, pilots often don't get picked up, more often than not, in this town, in this business, you shoot a pilot, you make a pilot, you get paid to, to create a pilot, it doesn't get picked up. Trust me. So it happened. Our first clue should have been when this was announced. You're doing two? Well, we're developing another one. Oh, you're doing two. We're developing another one. Absolutely. Now, much like with the Feige being suddenly brought on board to produce a Star Wars picture. Now it makes a little more sense. That's just how these things happen, as you know. It's no secret. It's no secret, but it's often forgotten. People wake up that morning, see a headline, Benioff and Weiss, walk away from their Star Wars deal, and they think that Benioff and Weiss woke up over the weekend, had some pizza, talked about it, and said, let's quit. No, I could tell you it happened months before. So it was with this. I absolutely think this pilot probably wasn't working. And to compare it again to the original... HBO Game of Thrones pilot, which did not work, and they reshot it. The business was in a very, especially the television business, was very much in a different state. Game of Thrones was one of the shows that changed that state, but now we are in the streaming wars. I do believe Blood Moon was a casualty of those streaming wars, somewhat, perhaps indirectly. They've got to go. They've got to move. HBO Max is now in a war with Disney Plus, Amazon Prime, Netflix. We got Mandalorian, Netflix's reputation and pedigree of putting out good shows. We got Apple TV coming in with Big Morning Show and C and all these shows. Um, we have got Amazon Prime working on Lord of the Rings. We got Wheel of Time floating out there. We got big things. How do we get people to tune in to be interested in HBO Max? CBS All Access, Star Trek Discovery, eh, that maybe held a little bit. Now we got Picard. We've got to do that too. We've got Game of Thrones. 
Yeah, we do have Game of Thrones. How's that pilot going? Not great. Okay. Should we rework it? We reworked the last one almost 10 years ago. Um, we don't have that time. We've already started down this path with a show that has a little more pop to it. Dragons. People love those dragons. People might have felt a little shortchanged by Danny's destiny and where her character end up, ended up, but they did love her and they did love those dragons. Now we get to see her family. We get more of those sexy Targaryens. Now, I don't know how they're going to deal with uh, the old Targaryen love system they've got during those times. We'll find that out. We got all the elements. Did the other show have that stuff? Yes, it did. Probably did. But if the pilot wasn't working and you're saying, hey, it's Game of Thrones. Oh, God, right. People love Game of Thrones. There's no giant castles or keeps. There's no dragons. There might be some magic, but it's magic around these little elf people and uh, the, the wall being built and one man fighting storms. Where's the dragons? Oh, no, no dragons. They're on another, uh, they're on another continent. Coming over a little bit later. When they coming over? Well, on that uh, during that show, we're gonna go with that show. It's simplified, direct, leaving out probably a lot of other factors. I am not an expert here, and you out there listening, unless you work for HBO, your name is Jane Goldman or George R. R. Martin. You are the only ones who know the answers. Other than that, we're not experts. We're just fans talking. But this tracks. This absolutely tracks to me. This decision was made a while ago. This decision led to the pushing forward on the uh, House of the Dragon. And it's intriguing. And I'm excited. I'm excited for House of the Dragon. Disappointed and sad. We won't get some of the answers, some of the big answers that we want at least now, AJ Heroes. We'll talk more about it. Definitely want Rachel's thoughts. Want Lon, Andres. I want all of them. I want your thoughts. We'll keep it going. I hope some facts emerge. I hope some truths emerge. We'll get to those some other time. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. My sick throat's going to take a little break. Yeah, we'll get some fun calls. We're going to end this with some fun, right? It's Casterly Talk here. But we'll be back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back here in Castle Talk. Thanks for sticking around. I don't know how many I lose during these commercial breaks, uh, which we need to help keep the lights on, but I don't have the research on that. I hope you're not abandoning the fight. Um, normally when I take these breaks, they're, they're just small moments in time. I stop recording. I export that file. I start a new one. I record live to tape, as a lot of you know. This time, I, 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 I just took about a 20-minute break. I have been sick all week, as I said, in and out of bed, hacking, coughing, not looking good. If I was in Westeros 300 years before uh, the uh, Roberts Rebellion, I, th- I don't think I'd survive. So I actually had to take a break. Good to be back. Lose a long 20 minutes without you. But a moment in time for you. All right. Can get to it. Yes, you're right. Got a couple calls. We got some heavy stuff earlier. All important, all needed. But let's uh, talk about. Let's see. Got a couple. I got a couple great calls. There's some. Uh, some I might have to play on next week's episode because because uh, I missed a week. We had we have a backlog, which is great. Let's go to this one from our friend Mark at Mark Talk. 
Hey, Ken and everyone at the small council at Casterly Talk. This is Mark. And a thought occurred to me as I'm taking my daily commute. I wish we had seen the uh, the teased relationship of Jon Snow and Gendry played out a little more. You know, it, it kind of seemed like we were heading in that direction with a few of their scenes together. And I kind of wish we would have seen that relationship sort of uh, grow. Would have been really interesting, you know, the uh, son of Robert and the quote-unquote son of Ned uh, being buddies. But we didn't get to see it. And I was wondering, what say you? Is there something else in the show that maybe they teased or you would have liked to have seen played out a little more, including the relationship between Gendry and Jon Snow? Thanks for taking the call. All right, I love getting calls from uh, Mark. Mark's been calling into this uh, podcast since the days of Daily Thrones, and I love the gentle calm of his car. We're on a journey with you as well, Mark. Uh, great call about Gendry and Jon Snow. It was wonderfully teased. Look, Gendry coming back was a bit of fan service to some, and I think I think that's okay from time to time. And it was fun. It was done with almost a wink and a nod. Sir Davos kind of, where, where have you been? Rowing around, and it played into all of our themes and memes of uh, Gendry over the years. But he was brought back for a, a, a good purpose in my mind, which is part of uh, Arya Stark's story and provided us a very good uh, moment for the character of Arya, taking, some, um, taking her sexuality, taking her feelings, taking her emotions, taking her desires into her own hands in that scene. Um, the full growth of that character, uh, I, I think it was good. I think it played out, and I think it was important for Gendry to be there for that. It made some sense, and, um, you know, he ends up in an okay spot, right? He's also a bastard uh, rising to the top. Uh, but Mark's right. I do think uh, they left a little bit on the table. I wanted to have one big back-to-back scene. Snow slash kind of stark. I mean, you know, Leanna Stark's a Stark. Don't get me wrong. You know what I mean, though. Uh, but Son of Ned and Son of Robert, back-to-back, a Warhammer sword. Yeah, you know. But would that have been too, uh, too fanservice-y? They might have taken some criticism on that. You know, it's hard. It's a fine line. You give people what you think they want. And they hate it. You give them something else they want. Ah, it's it's a comp- it's complicated. You got to make decisions. But yeah, it was a little bit left on the table. It was a little left on the table. I think uh, of, for, in terms of other things that I would have liked to have seen, um, not counting you know the things that were just not brought into the show, uh, Lady Stoneheart being one of those and everything. Yeah, um, I don't know the the Brotherhood without banners. It serves it serves its purpose. It serves its purpose. Um, in the end, but mostly around uh, the Hound and uh, Sir Beric Dondarrion, you know. But the Brotherhood without banners is is off in the sidelines of the show. We spend a lot of time with it in the books, and I think it's an important part of it. But the, it was addressed enough for me where they've got a lot of taste. Uh, they got it's a good taste, you know. Um, so I, I would have. Would have wouldn't mind it a little bit more, but again, they streamline it. It all it all works. So even the Golden Company, I, I I'm fine with what we got with the Golden Company. I didn't need a whole whole history of the Golden Company. They're there. It's part of it. Cersei, one of those elephants. Oh well, but a little bit more uh, with the Iron Bank and Cersei. A little bit more of those politics. But the show didn't have the time. That's the biggest loss I think of, of the shortened seasons and the focus and the budget going to the big battles. I I wouldn't trade that for nothing, but those are those little things there. So the iron bank, um, you know, coming back and maybe uh, going in on uh, Cersei. Um, These are the little things that are there. There's some bigger things, things with the white walkers and, the Night King, I, love, I know a lot of people might have felt shortchanged on. I just think I, sometimes the answer is supposed to be simple. And we get our, our wonderful theories going. And then, yeah, the, the answer was always just something straightforward. The Night King's pissed off and he's going to be defeated. I <laughs> I had my own theories that he's going to win. I, a lot of those things. It didn't happen. So, okay. So uh, as far as uh, those little tiny moments and what they could have been, uh, would Gendry and Jon Snow have brought 
a giant extra chapter to the story? No. But would it have been fun? Would it have been interesting to hear one more, uh, see one more Warhammer and, and Stark sword back-to-back in action? Absolutely. But this is why we like those what-ifs. Good stuff, Mark. Uh, we're going to get a reaction to our previous what-if and then a new what-if to close the show. Here's Billy again. Uh, and this is before he sent this call in, before the news is canceled prequel. So, Billy, uh, it's to go back to a, a simpler, more joyful time in your life. Hey, Ken, it's Billy again. I just wanted to call in with my response to what if Ned told uh, Catelyn about John, John's true heritage. You have a very optimistic point of view about Catelyn, at least compared to me, because I think she would rat John out the moment one of her children was in danger, like at the Red Wedding. Obviously, I don't know how the story would fully play out, but if given an opportunity to rat John out in order to save one of her children, I think Catelyn would do it. No questions asked. And I'm not really saying that that's even a bad thing. I don't know. I wouldn't I don't know what I would do in a situation like that, but I don't think I don't think Catelyn would still treat John like it was her child. Obviously, her feelings towards him would be different knowing that Ned didn't cheat on her, but I still think that she would be a risk telling telling the truth too. I think Ned in the end made the right decision by not telling her. This is a great follow-up to our what if, the big what if of what if Caitlin Stark, excuse me, Caitlin Stark knew uh that uh John uh, was uh, who he was. Um and I think we want to give Catelyn Strick the benefit of the doubt here. I understand where Billy's coming from. She's a bit of a wild card from the Catelyn we know because she'll do anything to defend her family. So would she have accepted uh, John? Would she have defended him uh, for Ned Ned and helped Ned keep his promise? Yeah, I think I think we, we would have seen that, and that's what we talked about last week. But I like Billy's angle on, but when faced with protecting her family, her blood family, her true family, her true-born children, and if... Giving up Jon Snow in any way, shape, or form would have saved them? Would she have done it? This is a its a big question of, of Catelyn Stark's morals, I guess, and her integrity, but also her loyalties. She's a good person. She's a, she's a, she's a good character. She's on the good team, yeah, despite some faults, because every character in the show has those, let's be clear. But... I could see in some certain, I don't know if it's a red wedding, you know, it wasn't like she gave up anything for, for to, to Walter Frey in that moment. And in the, in the final moments that she's playing for, for all this to, to stop. Uh, she wasn't like, you know, if Talisa was alive, would she be like, Hey, take my daughter-in-law. I don't, I don't really like her. I don't think she would have done that. But if it comes down to, Save my actual family, but take this Targaryen boy. Take this Targaryen man. Would she have done it? I don't know. That's another what if instead of a what if. But I see where Billy's coming from. Did Ned at any point along the way? Because he doesn't have to tell her right away. He can come back with Jon Snow five years into it. Like, hey, baby Johnny Snow over there. Let me tell you what's really going on. He could have. So does he come back and go, wow, I got a great wife. She is a great mother, loyal to our house, our family, and her children. To a very, very, very umph degree, you know? I can't tell her this. She, I don't know what she'll do with that information. I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Ned did probably what was right in the end. This is what's great about these what ifs. I think what end actually goes down is probably what was right for the characters. But a what if inside of a what if? What do you guys think about that second what if? And what do you think about this new what if? Hey, Ken, this is Ashton from Atlanta, Georgia. I was just calling for a what-if scenario. If D- Danny and her advisors would have moved on King's Landing in season six-ish, full force, all three dragons conquered, it would have been less loss of life. I think Cersei would have 
uh, had been exiled or something like that or banished. And I think that that could have been another storyline tailing off into something else. Or, But I think that John would have still inevitably come down to King's Landing to meet or wherever Danny would be at uh, to ask for help for the White Walkers in the long night. And I think that it would have been cool to see John have a little Aladdin Tarzan moment where he is in Targaryen garb and all that good stuff. And then he realizes it's not right. And then for some reason he has to kill Danny anyway. And then the story can play out how it uh, did originally. So I just think that would have been cool. And uh, I just wanted to see John with the crown on his head at least once, man. Oh, a guy had a, such a hard life. Okay. Thanks, Ken. Ashton, that's a great call. I got to get uh, back out to Atlanta. I've only been there uh, brief little moments in the airport. That don't count. Um, great call, Ashton. I appreciate it. And uh, this is a great what if. We've we've talked about it a little bit, but let's put a fine uh, focus on it there. Um, uh, let's um, let's think about it here. Should Danny? The biggest thing is should Danny have hit the ground running and gone with her instincts and just been a dragon? I I think the answer is yes. If you if you if you want Danny to burn King's Landing to the ground and take it over, that's going back to season seven. What everyone was trying to get her to not do, we know this. But I think in the end, it, it was the wrong call. If conquest was the goal, Dario does say to her, "You're a conqueror, Danny." He knows her. I think. I think when Dario Naharis gets word of this over in Essos, when when ravens come this way and say and say, uh, did you hear that that dragon lady got killed? She burned everything to the ground, and then like her new boyfriend killed her. I think Dario's like, yeah, yeah, that seems about right. And in a way, he might be proud of her. I think Dario would have hit the ground with her and been like, hey, burn it all down. I think it's part of the reason she leaves him behind. So if she does that, if she had taken over, I think she would have won. Three strong dragons, army, armies and navies ready to go. Dothraki feeling fresh, having just barfed all over the boats. I think she would have won. Would she have needed to burn King's Landing completely to the ground? I don't know if it would have been as bad. It would have been good, and I think some of the points made by all those around her, of this is why you can't go burn down King's Landing, I think they were valid. But I think Danny But I think, I think, Ashton, you're right. I think it kind of ends up in the same spot. Where now she is in control. She's on the Iron Throne. Targaryen banners are waving all over the land, and Jon Snow's like, great, awesome. However, there's another problem. And it's not just a problem. It's going to go away. Would he, be, would, he, would he have bent the knee? That might be a, a, a what if inside a what if here. I think he would have been more likely to. I think the North might have said, uh, wait, 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 wait. But also, here we go again. A, snar- a Stark uh, kneeling before Targaryen. We've been here before. Torrent Stark, the king who knelt. John, we just crowned you king of the North. Don't Please don't do that. I think there would have been some issues. But a little less than there was because I feel one of the reasons they didn't want John to go south. There's a bad track record of it, but also things were up for grab. Everything was still playing out. No one wanted Cersei. People could still get the throne. Maybe people in the North think, hey, maybe one of us, one of, one of, maybe the king of the North can go get the king, uh, the throne in the, in the South. If if Danny's on the throne, I'm thinking aloud here, maybe it's a little bit more like, all right, well, we lost that chance. And it doesn't look like she's going to let us keep the North. It's all right, John, go down, get the help we need to defeat the Night King, and we'll play it, uh, play it by ear after that. So then I think it plays out. Maybe they defeat the Night King, maybe even at the wall. Maybe Danny flies over the wall, and Night King doesn't have a, an ice dragon and the defeat is even quicker and more sound. Does it still end up with Jon Snow sticking that dagger into, into her heart? 
his Azor Ahai to her Nisa Nisa. I, I think it could have been there. Does she say, you know what? I could use a, a king. I am the queen. The North, the North doesn't feel good about me sitting on here, but they know they're not going to do much about it because they can't. You're kind of a pretty little boy, Johnny. Why don't you ride a dragon with me, huh? I think that could have happened. When, when, when we get married, we'll join the North with the South. You all bend the knee to me, but you're connected. And I'll keep the North happy. You help me down here in the South. I, I think that could have happened. And then maybe we end up in the same spot. Maybe John feels we've been conquered again. I think it's a little less. There's a there's a chance, sadly. And Ashton wants John to, to have his moment in the sun, right? Uh, I love John riding off north. I think a lot of people do. I think Ashton probably would agree. It's, it's good to see John kind of get some kind of peace and happiness. But, yeah, this scenario plays out. John's got more power. Not necessarily he wants the power, but he's not the power. Got a hot queen bride. John kind of wins a little bit. I think there's a better chance if Danny conquers when she gets there, helps with the Night King, marries Jon Snow. I think there's a better chance that those kids actually end up happily ever after. Oh, it's kind of sad to think about. Danny. She she did the right thing by listening. She did the wrong thing by listening. A lot of lessons learned in the character of Daenerys Targaryen. A lot of them in Jon Snow. Ashen, thanks for the call. Mark, Eric, Billy, thanks for the call. Some other calls I'll probably get to in the next episode. If you've got a call, reach out to the Anchor app. Get to the Anchor app. Put a call. Uh, Respond to some of these what-ifs, your theories, uh, anything about the world of ice and fire. And we are going to really start now that we know. We know we're focused. We're going to be focused on House of the Dragon, and we're going to continue to get you ready for that series and get ourselves ready for that series. All right? It's all right. All right, that's it for this week. John, Danny, in another life, you all were happy together. See you next time on Casterly Talk. <laughs>